This morning we come to the seventh message in a series from the book of Genesis. And as you know, we are in chapter 12. Our message is titled today, The Faith of Abraham, or Trust God in the Dark. Now, the parallel passage to Genesis 12 is Hebrews 11, 8 through 19. For in those verses in Hebrews 11, the writer shares with us the faith of Abraham. Chapter 11 of Hebrews, verses 8 through 19. It's really a summary of the faith of Father Abraham. It has been said that Abraham believed when he did not know where, how, or why. He truly trusted God in the dark. In the eighth verse of Hebrews 11, it says he went out not knowing whither he went. He trusted God without knowing where. How would you like that? God to tell you to go, and you really didn't know where you were going. So it was with Abraham. In verse 11 of Hebrews 11, it speaks of the birth of Isaac, and Abraham's question was, how? And in the 17th through the 19th verses, why? Because the writer informs us that Abraham was told to offer up his only begotten son as a sacrifice on Mount Moriah. Give your son in sacrifice on the altar. Why? In each of those instances, Abraham had nothing but faith to rely on. Nothing visible. He did not know where, he did not know how, and he did not know why. This area of Scripture begins one of the great adventures of all time. As we learned last Sunday, the flood had destroyed a corrupt civilization. But another soon took its place. God called one man to begin the fulfillment of his promise. The promise was in verse 15 of chapter 3. The seed of the woman would crush the head of the serpent, but the serpent would bruise the heel of the seed of the woman. Now, how was this to be done? Where would the seed come from? This is where Abraham comes into the picture. In chapter 11, verses 10 through 26, we learn that Abraham was of the line of Shem. From this one man, God was to bless the whole world. A Savior was to come through this line. Now, from a human point of view, God's choice was foolish. It made no sense whatsoever. And isn't it often that case? We say, God, do you know what you're talking about? Do you know what you just said? I'm sure Abraham had that kind of question because he and Sarah had no children at all, and it told us, it has told us in the Scriptures that he was a hundred and she was ninety when this thing came to them. Seventy-five years old when they were told to go out to a country they knew nothing about. 
So, folks, never tell God it's impossible. What would you think if a couple, 190, walked on this platform on Baby Dedication Sunday with a baby? Wouldn't that be something? Well, it happened. It happened long ago when these people trusted God in the dark. And it ultimately brought great glory to God and great blessing to the world. Now, there are four points to our message today. If you're writing them on the back of the bulletin where space is provided, there are four points. Number one, God's promise to Abraham. Let's look at it. It's quite unique. In verse 1, God said, A land that I will show thee. So his promise had to do with a land. You will inherit a land, a country. Verse 2, God said, I will make thy name great. So he was going to get a great name. That was part of the promise. In verse 2 also, God said, I will make of thee a great nation. So he was going to be a part of a great nation. It was going to come out of his very loins. In verse 3, in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Everybody that ever lives will be blessed by you, Father Abraham. So he promised him a land, a great name, a great nation, and a blessing that would encompass the whole world. What a promise. How could Abraham respond to these promises? How could this ever come about? What persuaded Abraham that it could ever be? Well, there are two words in the text that I believe persuaded Father Abraham, and they are these words, I will. Notice them, verse 1, a land that I will. Show thee. Verse 2, I will make thy name great. Verse 2, I will make of thee a great nation. God continually repeated to Abraham those two words, I will. Now, friends, that's what faith and that's what the promises of God are literally all about. Faith is when we have absolutely nothing, nothing. Abraham said, our bodies are dead. God smiled. That's good, he said. Because that means it really isn't you, it's me. And that's what faith is. When we have nothing, no resources whatsoever, faith takes hold. Trusting God in the dark. So the emphasis of God is an emphasis that every one of us needs here today because the tendency today is to trust in man. It's to trust in government. It's to trust in education. It's to trust in the company. It's to trust in our security. But God said, I will do this. It won't be you, it will be me. And I pray that that emphasis will get down deep into our hearts this morning. 
God wants us to know there are things he can do that we can't do. And there are things he wants to do that we need him to do. And he wants us to hear those words, I will. What do you face? What valley? What difficulty? What mountain, if you please, are you looking at? What is it that you need? God wants you to hear him say, I will. Then it's for you to move out in faith and trust him to do it. Now, did God fulfill his promise to Abraham? Let's just take a look quickly. In 1948, a flag went up over the land of Israel. Israel became a state for the first time since the year 70 A.D. Is God faithful to his promise? Israel is a nation today. Israel has her land today. God said, there will be a land that I will give you. And they have it. The Jews have blessed all nations of the world. We are pro-Jewish here because the Bible is a Jewish book. It's the history of the Hebrews. You dare not be anti-Jewish, my dear friends. If you have a problem with that, you'd better get to this altar today. Because God said, I will bless them that bless you, and I will curse them that curse you. Do you know why there are nations of this world that are struggling, rocking and reeling because of their treatment of Israel? That's why it's important to vote always for a man who favors Israel. Because as we favor Israel, we are favored of God. It's just the way it is. We love the Jews because they are God's special people. And so the nations of the earth are blessed because the Jews gave us the Bible and the Jews gave us the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, most of them think he's coming in some future day, that he's not come yet, but we know better. We know that he came and they rejected him, but they will acknowledge him when he comes in his millennial kingdom. Praise God for that. Their eyes are going to be opened. Hallelujah. I'm looking forward to that. The Jews are going to acknowledge their king. There's no question about it whatsoever. So we have Jesus in the Bible because of the Jews. Now, the name of Abraham, he said, I will give you a great name. Did you know that the name of Abraham is revered not only by Jews, but by Muslims, Christians, and even unbelievers in the world? Why, if you want to get next to a Jew, just say, I believe in your father Abraham. You've got a friend right there on the spot. Because his name is great by all kinds of people from all walks and backgrounds. Notice this before we move to the second point about the promise to Abraham. In the 11th chapter, we have not read that section, but it's about the Tower of Babel. In the fourth verse, it teaches us that the men of Babel wanted to make for themselves a great name. They wanted a great name. What happened? They failed. 
They did not complete the tower, and God scattered them and changed their languages. Abraham simply trusted God. He had no tower. He had no rights. He had nothing except a promise. And what did God do? God gave him a great name. Isn't that marvelous? When men go after something and destroy themselves in doing it and end up in ruin, God over here is blessing a humble servant named Abraham, giving him a nation and giving him a great name. What are you going after, your way or God's way? Just thought I'd throw that in for your benefit. No extra charge. I want you to stop and think. What will men think of you when they hear your name after you're gone? Will they think of someone who tried to amass a fortune or tried to make a name for themselves at the expense of others, or will they think of someone who gave themselves to God's service and God's glory while they were here? Take up your cross and follow him, Jesus said. Now, the second point in our message today is Abraham's response to God. Abraham confesses his faith, and whenever he did that, he always did it in two ways, by doing two things. He did it by pitching his tent and by building an altar. In the 13th chapter, the third and the fourth verses, you will read about that. And then down to the last verse of the 13th chapter, Abram removed his tent and came and dwelt by the oaks of Mamre, which is in Hebron, and built there an altar unto the Lord. He did that many times, pitched a tent and built an altar. Now, the tent speaks of the pilgrim, the man who trusts God a day at a time, and it's a beautiful picture. A man who can pick up and go at the bidding of God. It's a beautiful thing. Hebrews tells us here, have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. We are all to be reminded that we are pilgrims and strangers here. We are sojourners through the land. This is not our home. The old hymn says that this world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. Do you realize that? So he pitched his tent as a constant reminder that he was a pilgrim here. The second thing he did was to build an altar, and he located his altar at Bethel, which speaks of worship. The house of God is what Bethel means. Bethel was on the west and Hai on the east. Do you know what Hai means? It means the heap of ruins. Get the picture with me. Hai, the heap of ruins over here. Bethel, the house of worship or the house of God over here. Abram turns his back on the heap of ruins, Hai back here, and he builds his altar toward Bethel. He wants to see Bethel, not Hai. Where are you building your altar? What are you doing with your life? Lot did the opposite. His nephew... Lot turns his back on the house of God, and the Bible says in chapter 13, verse 11, Lot turned eastward. Eastward was where Hai was. Lot turned eastward where the heap of ruins was and turned his back on Bethel, the house of God. 
Now, there are some in worship today and some watching me by television and some listening by tape who are doing the same thing as Lot. And you need to turn around. Don't face the heap of ruins. Face the house of God. Build an altar toward Bethel. That's the important part of this second point in our lesson. Abraham responded to God. In verse 12 of chapter 13 are these words, Lot pitched his tent toward Sodom. It wasn't long until his feet were walking the streets of Sodom. He was with those residents of Sodom in their sins and their idolatry and in their turning away from the true and living God. He walked the streets with them. And when God said through Abraham, I'm going to destroy this city, and an angel of the Lord warned them, and Abraham warned them, they would not get out of the city until forced out by the prayers of Abraham the faithful. I'm afraid that's the way it would be if Jesus would come today. Some wouldn't have enough inertia about them to lift them out of the seat in the church because their face is toward Hai, toward the east, instead of toward Bethel, the house of God. But, of course, the emphasis today by the Holy Spirit is, I am waiting for you. I love you. Oh, the mercy of God. As we turn, he is there to receive us. What did the prodigal do? He left the pig pen and went back to where he knew God would meet him. Back to Bethel. That was Abraham's response to God's promise. Now, the third point in this beautiful story should be an encouragement to everybody in church today. I think it's perhaps the most encouraging part of the whole story. Abraham slipped back. The point is, a lapse of faith occurred. Some of you have come to church today feeling beat down, like there's a heavy heel on you pushing you into the mud and the mire because of your deeds, your acts, your lack of faith. You disobeyed God. You didn't listen to God. You made your own choice. Well, welcome to the human race. Abraham had a lapse of faith. Let me tell you about it. Here's what happened. There was a famine in Canaan land. And it says in chapter 12, verse 10, Abraham went down into Egypt. There's the story. That simple. There was a famine in Canaan. What would it take? Faith. Not this time. Abraham goes down into Egypt. Whenever you're going away from the purpose of God and the will of God, you're going down. Jonah went down into the belly of the fish. And there he cried unto God, and he said it was out of hell that he cried. Is that the way you feel today? Well, you're in a good place. It's happened before. It happened to one we call the father of the faithful, even Abraham. Egypt is a picture of the world. It is a picture of the life of self-confidence. While Canaan is a picture of faith and a picture of victory, and Abraham 
turn from that to a life of self-confidence and trusting in man. Egypt was watered by the muddy waters of the Nile. Canaan received the fresh rains of God from heaven. He turned to the muddy waters of the Nile and rejected the fresh rains from God that fell from heaven. Instead of remaining there and trusting God, they went down to Egypt. Have you ever noticed that one sin leads to another? First, Abraham trusts Egypt, and the next thing you find him doing is lying about his wife, Sarah. He says, she's my sister. She was beautiful, you see. And he was afraid that when these Egyptians saw Sarah, they would want to kill him because of the beauty of his wife. So he says, she's my sister. Well, it wasn't altogether untrue because she was his half-sister as well as his wife. Am I communicating anything to you at this moment? How easy it is for us to compromise and say, well, it isn't altogether untrue. It isn't totally a lie. I'm not totally away from God. I'm just a little bit out of line right now. What a dangerous place to be. It got Abraham into such trouble. He was more concerned about his own safety than that of Sarah. He forgot about the promised seed that was supposed to come from her. He could have ruined the whole scheme of God at this moment in his life. Now, what was lacking? How could it happen to a man like Abraham? You know why it happened? He left his altar in Canaan. He didn't take his altar with him. He had no altar. So he was trusting in his own mind, in his own intellect, in his own emotion. He was figuring it all out himself. I know what I'll do. I'll say she's my sister. They won't kill me if she's my sister. Why, what he was doing was literally offering Sarah to any Egyptian that came along. How could it be, Abraham, when God made such promises to you? It will happen that way with any of us when we forget the altar. No wonder the psalmist said in the very first verse of the very first psalm of all the 150 psalms, this is the first thing that the psalmist said, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. It gets us into horrible difficulty. The lie was exposed. And guess what Pharaoh had to do? He had to ask Abraham to leave the land. What a testimony to a heathen king. A lying servant of God. And that king has to say, will you get out of here, please? I don't want anything to do with your Christianity. Just get out. It's always sad when that kind of thing happens when you mingle with the world and compromise and lose the testimony. Someone has said, faith is living without scheming. I like that. Faith is living without scheming, without trying to cut the corners or make the root all by yourself. Faith says, I trust God, here I stand. Abraham slipped from that. It happened with Lot, too. In chapter 19, 
We learn that Lot lived with the world and lost his testimony. It happened with Peter. He sat by the enemy fire and lost his testimony. So there is a lapse of faith. What do you do about it? Just sit there in your misery? What do you do about it? Just say, well, I've blown it and God has forsaken me and I can't get back on track. I know I'm going to be punished. Here I am. Boils are going to hit me all over my body. My kids are going to die. God's going to strike them with lightning. I'm going to lose my job. I'm going to get cancer. I know that's what's going to happen. If you've got that kind of God, I hope you'll change today. Because the fourth point is the restoration of faith. Oh, how we need this message preached. The Christian must go back to the very place where he forsook the Lord. That's my recommendation to you. Chapter 13, verses 3 and 4. And he went on his journey from the south even to Bethel, under the place where his tent had been at the beginning, under the place of the altar. What does God want you to do when you've had a lapse of faith? When you've blown it, when you've sinned against God, he wants you to repent. He wants you to be sorry for your sin. He wants you to make amends for your sin. How do you do it? You get up and go back to Bethel. Pitch your tent and build your altar right where you did the first time. That's what he wants you to do. So simple. You don't have to go to Rome and go through penance. You don't have to climb the holy stairs on your knees, as I mentioned last Sunday night. You don't have to flagellate yourself. Jesus Christ was bruised and broken for your sins and your lapse of faith. Go back to Bethel. Build an altar under the Lord. If your marriage is in shambles, go back to the marriage altar where you said, I will, until death parts us for good or bad, sick or well, I will. Go back to that altar. Find the healing presence of a loving God there. Some of you in this service today need to go back to Bethel, back to the place of beginning. That's where God will meet you. Some people ask me, is this right to go here, this right to do that? Well, I just feel we do not dare go any place where our testimony must be left behind. If we have to leave our testimony outside, then we ought not to be there anywhere that we cannot build the altar or pitch the tent is out of bounds for the Abrahams of this world. Well, let's take a look at the consequences as we try to put the caboose on this thing. The consequences are interesting. The wages of sin are paid. I'm not here to tell you that there will not be consequences. There were consequences for Abraham and there will be for you. But thank God for mercy and grace and strength and the ability to make it through. He lost his time. The weeks that were away from the Lord and away from Canaan were lost, and he could never regain them. Psalm 90.12 says, Teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. What do people say to pastors? They often say, If I could only go back and do it over again. What are they saying? I've lost so much time. They often say, if I would have only given my life to Christ sooner, I've had many say that to me. 
as they come to Christ in later years. Oh, why didn't I do it sooner? I wasted all those years. If I had only listened, some of them say, lost time, but God is merciful. What about his lost testimony? Could Abraham ever witness to Pharaoh of the true God after deceiving him? What a price to pay, losing one's testimony. But God is merciful. And what about Hagar, chapter 16, verse 1? When he came out of Egypt, he brought Hagar with him. Whatever we bring with us from Egypt will ultimately cause us trouble. The Ishmael-Isaac war goes on today, the Arabs and the Jews. Hagar brought Ishmael into the world. Abraham was the father. Sarah brought Isaac into the world. Abraham was the father. And the biggest confrontation is yet ahead between Arabs and Jews. There will be no escape from it. It all started back here when he had a lapse of faith. But God is merciful. He loves the Arabs and he loves the Jews both. But don't bring things out of Egypt when you're moving toward Canaan. It gets you into horrible trouble. And what about Lot? Chapter 13, verse 10 tells us that Lot developed a taste for Egypt. Get this. Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere, like the land of Egypt. And he wanted it just like he had it in Egypt. Abraham took Lot out of Egypt, but he could not take Egypt out of Lot. Parents, how are you living in front of your children? What example are you leaving your family? You can move them to a new community, but you may not be able to take the former community out of them. I was sitting in a restaurant some time ago, and I was distracted by a boy eating. He was so noisy. I wondered how in the world a boy could eat like that until I observed further and watched his dad, because it was the same. I mean, it was horrible. Abraham took Lot into Egypt, and he took him out of Egypt, but he couldn't take Egypt out of Lot. What kind of example are you living before your family? Lot shares Abraham's tent and his altar in chapter 12, verse 8, but when he comes out of Egypt, he only has tents. Notice in chapter 13, verse 5, he had flocks and herds and tents, but no altars. Oh, how Egypt affects us. And then people have the audacity to say, I can go here and do this, I can compromise and go here and do this, it won't bother me, I can participate in this activity in the world and still maintain my relationship with Jesus Christ. When are we going to wake up, my dear friends, when you go down into Egypt, Egypt will affect you and you may leave Egypt, but Egypt may not leave you until you get back to that altar, the place of beginning, and lay it all there and say, Jesus, I leave it under the blood. I don't want any part of it anymore. 
Now, anybody that hears my voice today can be delivered from any habit, any oppression, any sin of your life, if you're willing. All it takes is your willingness. You can leave any habit at the altar if you build the altar. You can leave any problem at the altar if you build the altar, if you will just come back and leave it there in God's name. And praise the Lord, that's what Abraham did. Now, what do you have? Flocks, herds, tents, or faith in God? How secure we can get to feel. I've gotten mail this week telling me how to invest my money. This is going to fail, this is going to fail, this is going to fail. This is going to succeed. This will be good to invest in. Some of you have spent more time reading that kind of literature this week than the Holy Word of God. And don't try to tell me that's not true. I've lived too long. What are you trusting in? Tents? Flocks? Herds? Buildings? Automobiles? Gold? Metal, that's the one the letter said. That's the good one coming. Metal. Woohoo. Get metal. It will bring you through. Get a hold of metal. Invest in metal. Like a new God. Tents. Birds. Flock. Or God. The altar. The place of commitment, what will it be? I was watching PTL recently and saw Reggie Vinton on PTL. And then I remembered an article I had about Reggie Vinton, a statement that was made in the article. It's right here, quote from his own mouth. I was raised in a Pentecostal church. You don't know who Reggie Vinson is, maybe. He was in the most wicked rock group in this world, KISS. I mean, debased, bottom of the moral pile. And he was the guitarist for John Lennon and the Beatles. And a special friend of Jimi Hendrix, who is no longer around because of drugs and the lies of Satan. Reggie Vinson, Vinson says, I was raised in a Pentecostal church. Seems like a long ways to me from a Pentecostal church to the Beatles or to Kiss. It's sort of like going from Canaan to Egypt, isn't it? John Lennon, he said, worth $235 million dollars Reggie Vinson says, now the devil destroyed John Lennon. He said, there was no other course. Totally filled with the devil, motivated by the devil. The devil killed John Lennon. I would have to agree. I, I, I believe that before I read this. Because I know how the devil works. He's a murderer, a liar, thief. He destroys. That's his business. So where is Jimi Hendrix? And where is John Lennon? And where are a myriad of other stars? 
Well, Reggie Vinson was in a hotel room in Reno, 110 miles from here. He had gone to a party with Liberace, and Liberace introduced him to a nice young lady at the party, and he took this nice young lady to his hotel room. And they were there in their hotel room, sipping champagne with the television set on, and who would come on but some former farmer from the South. His name is Billy Graham, and he's preaching this crusade. And Reggie Vinson starts to cry. Big tears stream down his cheeks, sitting there sipping champagne with ulterior motives in his mind toward the girl that's in the room with him. And the girl, seeing the tears streaming down his face as he's riveted on the screen, makes fun of him. But then she stopped. And she suddenly became riveted to the screen, and in a matter of minutes, both of them were on their knees by the bed in that hotel room in Reno, Nevada, saying, Jesus Christ, if you can, forgive us of our sins and come into our hearts and save us for Jesus' sake. And he did, right there on the spot. Billy Graham hears about it, and a representative of his organization calls Reggie Vinson and says, Reggie, would you like to be a chauffeur in the Billy Graham organization? Didn't ask him to be anything but a car driver. How do you get back to Canaan? Sometimes it's through humble means that God leads us. And here he was with a little cap on his head, driving a car for Billy Graham, and Billy, on the first trip he took to drive the car, said, wait just a minute, Reggie, and here comes Johnny Cash running out of a door, and Johnny hops into the car, and he thinks, of all the deals, here I am driving this car. But he had learned how God's ways are. And now God is beginning to lift him up as he goes back to the place of his beginning back to Canaan to build an altar unto God. I wonder how many of you need to do that today. I have a story in my files. I've had it there for many years. And I heard it on the radio this week. I thought I was the only one that knew that story, but heard a guy give it on the radio, just about like I do. Must have read the same book. It's about the human fly. Do you ever hear about him? He climbed the face of buildings, tall buildings, without any ropes or nets. And he announced that he would climb the face of the tall building in Los Angeles one day, and a crowd gathered, and he made his way up the face of the building, way high up, when it looked like he paused, looking for a, a brick or a cornice or something to pull him up over the top. And they waited down below, watching. Suddenly he took a little leap as though he saw a brick or something that would be substantial enough to pull him over the top, and to their horrified gaze, he fell to the pavement below, and the human fly was killed before their very eyes, and when they went over and opened his hand, they found inside of it the dried froth of a spider's web. What looked like a brick or a cornice or something substantial turned out to be nothing but foam. Could it be that that's what you've been grasping for? Abraham teaches us something. 
God gives us faith. I don't think any of you would be here today if it wasn't for faith in God. You have faith. God has given you a measure of faith, but what are you doing with it? Are you using that faith? Are you trusting God in the dark? Or are you trying to figure out your own way? Are you saying, I've got to do this my way. I've got to take care of this business my way. You're not giving it to God. I've got to figure out my finances my way. I can't tithe. As long as you're doing that, you will never know the victory of Bethel. You will never know about the altar. You will never know the power of Almighty God in your life until you get back to Bethel and turn your back on Ai, the place of ruins. God's Holy Spirit is asking you if you'll come to Bethel today. You can do it on television, watching us there at home, if you'll just open your heart. Now, I want no one leaving this building as we stand to our feet, please. No one moving into an aisle. You respect God and me, if you will. The only movement I want in the next few seconds is out into the aisles and down to this altar, which is our Bethel this morning. God's Holy Spirit is in this place. Conviction is here, and God's love is here, and his arms are enfolding us. And now you need to take a step back to Bethel. It may be that you've been gone a long time. Welcome home. It may be that you've never been to Canaan land. Come on in. The water is good. It's refreshing in Canaan land. There's everything you have need of. Just come. Just come. Don't make me stand here and beg you to come. Jesus Christ is worth more than that. Just know he loves you and get out into that aisle and come. If you have backslidden if you have sin in your life, if you need to come to Christ for the first time, our associates will be here to meet you as we sing, you come. Just as I am. of the song, just as I am, thou wilt receive. That's the miracle of it. Though there may have been a lapse, he receives us back. Would you come? God is speaking to your people. Please turn the tape over.